today I want us to center our attention on Mary and Joseph, and especially on uh, their journey before they got married. Now, for some of you who might not know about Mary and Joseph, they grew up in a tiny, tiny town of less than 200 people. Uh, They were probably poor growing up. Uh, Joseph was probably, um, as the Bible said, a carpenter. But some scholars agree that he actually was uh, not just a carpenter. He was a farmer that actually supplemented his uh, income with carpentry because wood was very scarce where they um, lived. Also, Mary grew up uh, very much um, as any other young lady of her time. She um, was raised with both of her parents, uh, lived in her parents' home, and at a very young age, she was promised into a marriage. And that's where we find ourselves in a story today. Um, And the reason I chose two different scriptures, one from the Gospel of Matthew and one from the Gospel of Luke, is because... The uh, account of Jesus' birth in Matthew gives us a great glimpse of who Joseph was before he got married to, to Mary, uh, of the young, man that, the, the young man that he was prior to his marriage. And um, in the story that I want to read, actually, he um, displays a very unusual behavior for the kind of behavior that a lot of men uh, displayed in his own time. Uh, when he receives news that uh, his wife is pregnant before their marriage, he, instead of shaming her, instead of um, disclosing the information with a lot of their relatives and family members, he decides to quietly let her go. And um, that was radical for his time because in a lot of ways, uh, whenever a girl was found to be pregnant before her wedding day, Uh, That girl would bring a lot of shame to her family, and um, she would be accused of adultery and probably stoned to death. But uh, he chooses to not judge her and to quietly let her go. So there we go. We're in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. It says, now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, then we get another account of the, of the story of Jesus in Luke. And the, the, the gospel of Luke gives us a glimpse into who Mary was before she got married to Joseph. So to summarize what we're about to read, she basically also was visited by an angel. And this angel told her that she had been chosen to, to carry Jesus, to, to be Jesus' mom. And to this, her response is, here am I, Lord, your will be done and not mine. Now, we have to realize that she's probably 14, she's a teenager. When, I mean, she's a teenager and, I, and, and said, here I am, Lord, do with me according to your will. And I, you know, I, it's admirable. I could hardly get myself to preach today. Right? Let's put that into perspective. 
So um, then she decides to go and find um, a good friend. Uh, some people agree that she actually went to see Elizabeth, a family member, because she was afraid for her own child. She wanted to be safe uh, in case somebody, the wrong person, found out about what was going on with her. So she goes to see Elizabeth, and the first thing that she does when she gets there is not tell her all the stuff that she's gone through, uh, the gossip about the angel and stuff like that. She actually decides the first thing she does is to praise the Lord. She says, and this is one of the most beautiful uh, praise songs that we can find in the Bible. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, I am not like an old-fashioned person that thinks, oh, how great things used to be in the past. I wish that, you know, we were more like my parents' generation. Things were so good back then. But it's something, after I read this, this account of Joseph's life and Mary's life, something made me feel inside as though, Things have, as far as relationships are concerned, uh, are concerned, things have gotten a little bit too far away from what uh, they were intended to be. Uh, you know, as a pastor, I often meet with people, and uh, lately I've been meeting with a lot of people who are trying to find a, a, a partner, a spouse, and um, it is very interesting to me that not probably one in ten of those people are the only ones that say, you know, I'm looking for a really God, for a God-fearing person, for a person who loves God, for a, 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 a man or a woman that puts God's, God first in their lives. I actually hear the opposite most of the time. I, the other day I discovered about hookup culture. Did y'all know about that? That was <laughs> very enlightening. <laughs> I, I hadn't heard much about the hookup culture. I hadn't heard... I mean, I knew about uh, other stuff that's going on, but that, that was interesting. And that just put into perspective uh, the way in which relationships used to work in, you know, for somebody like, for, for couples like Mary and Joseph, and how far we've gotten from that. In fact, uh, you know, I think that for us nowadays, we look for the opposite. A lot of the times I find people who... Uh, ask, intentionally ask their spouses that they ought to be the center of their lives and that a lot of, a lot of people that, have, that we've met, um, one spouse, for example, a couple of weeks back wanted the husband to be a better provider and she, honestly, the feeling that we got is that she couldn't care less if, if her husband had no relationship with God whatsoever as long as he was a good provider. So, opposite to that, Mary and Joseph actually teach us that a healthy, long-lasting Christian marriage is the union of two hearts that are completely devoted to God. And that is a radical idea for a lot of us. I... Um, I remember whenever we were um, in our first year of seminary, finishing our first year of seminary, it's the first time when we noticed the stark difference 
between couples who live for their own vision of life and the couples that make God their funda the foundation of their marriage. One of the couples that we first encountered was one of the hardest counseling sessions, pastoral counseling sessions we've ever done. Um, we had already taken pastoral care 101, 201, and nothing could have prepared us for what happened because they stormed into our office, and as soon as they got in there, they were screaming at each other. Um, we tried to pray. This went on for two hours, and at one point, what I remember the most about that session is that after they had said terrible things about each other, and we tried to intervene, but it was very hard, and we tried to pray. It was very hard to get them to add God into that conversation. At the end of the conversation, he said, I'm done because I, don't, I no longer believe in us, in us. And that was eye-opening for us. Because at that point, we realized that they believed that their marriage was truly just about each other. And not about God. God had no part to play. God's hope, God's joy wasn't a part of who they were as a couple. And then I remember that we met with another couple and the opposite happened. Actually, Eric and I came very paranoid to that session after what happened in the first session. And we sat and um, both of them were crying. Both of them were seemingly just devastated for what had gone on. We, um, you know, similar to the first couple, there was infidelity, infidelity in the marriage. And um, as they sat across from each other, uh, the guy finally mastered some words and he said, I, I am so sorry for what I did to you. I just, I just want you to know that I want you to forgive me. I want you to give me a second chance. And, and I know that God is not done yet with our marriage. God is not done. And there was another long, weepy pause. And then she looked at him and said something that even now still shocks me because instead of pointing fingers at him, instead of bickering, instead of uh, destroying each other, she said, it's not all your fault. <laughs> I, know thing, I know that I've not been perfect. I know that... Things haven't been perfect for a long time, but I know that God wants me to forgive you, and I want you also to forgive me. And I want us to let God, I don't know what's coming next, but I want us to let God help us through this. We barely said anything during that session. It's like they answered all of their questions, but the reason, but the difference was that the first couple had decided that they didn't believe in each other anymore, and this couple, the foundation of this other couple was God. They knew that if it wasn't for God, they wouldn't be there, and they knew that at that point that God was not done with them, and God was not done with their marriage. Now, if you find yourself more in a situation like, like the first couple that, that I shared about, I don't want you to feel despair. If you find yourself in a relationship with, with, where one of you is a believer and the other one's not, I don't want you to feel despair about it. I, um, about a decade ago, no, a lot longer than that, during our first year of marriage, um, Eric came to me one day and he basically said that he had lost his faith. I was like, that's great. 
I don't know where we go from here, but that's great. <laughs> um, I wanted to say that's not what I signed up for, honey. <laughs> but um, it was a very, very hard time for us. And I could have done a lot of things. I could have decided that wasn't meant to be for me, or I could have given it to God. And I remember during that time that a friend told me about James chapter 5, verse 16, that says the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So every day for almost two years, I decided to pray for my husband. I prayed and prayed, and I remember that every night as I saw him going down a path that, that wasn't him, I decided that God is not done with him. And I decided to pray for him every single night. Then one day, I remember it was so funny that he got invited to a trip to the Holy Land. I said, oh, I'll go. And of course, I knew, I'm the only person that knew that he actually went to the Holy Land to find even more evidence against God. That's what he really wanted to do. So he went all the way there. And then God showed him, you're not finding any evidence. I'm getting you back. So during that trip, he um, recovered his belief in God. And it was incredible what happened after. When he came back, he was unrecognizable to me. Actually, if there's one thing I'm going to say during this whole sermon series that, that needs to be out there is that I, during my marriage, I have decided that I like the Eric that I picked up at the airport a lot more than the area I, I dropped off at the airport. <laughs> I'm so glad he came back different to me. <laughs> I've liked him ever since, and I'm glad that he's no longer the same. But there are a lot of things that I've learned to appreciate with, from him ever since he came back. My favorite thing of his, and you know, I have to say something nice too, my favorite thing, of, thing that I like about him is the way in which he parents our children. Um, ever since he came back, he started doing something different, um, which was truly starting to put God first in his own life. And about three years ago, he started this routine with our kids that like, at least three or four days out of every week, he goes out of his way to teach them the Bible. Um, I actually don't know where he finds time to do these things. It irritates me a lot. <laughs> Uh, but um, the other day, I, for example, he um, came back home with a box full of puppets and stuffed animals. I, didn't, I thought he had lost it. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. And at night, he staged this uh, play to teach my kids about Noah's Ark. He filmed it. Uh, the kids were acting out the parts uh, of Noah and the kids and stuff like that. And then they watched it a thousand times a week. That was really, really irritating. <laughs> Uh, and uh, then at night, whenever he doesn't have time to put together plays or uh, be creative about it, I find him at random times during the day, he's practicing voices for some Bible stories. Like whenever we're going through Ruth and Boaz, he was practicing Boaz and then Ruth. And he's like, hi, my name is Ruth. You know, his voice is like, really? <laughs> and when he's like, I, you know, I... 
I started to get really mad because I don't, I don't want him to, his head to get big. In my scenario, when I was preaching this sermon, he was at homesick, so he wasn't here. It's hard to preach this with him staring at me. Uh, um, I uh, don't want his head to get big or anything. I just, but he is the cooler parent because of what he does. So one day I decided to confront him and say, hey, what's up with this storytelling time? My kids don't want me to read, me to read again. And he's, he said, um, you know, what's happening is that God has asked me to teach my kids the Bible. Now, for only our closest friends would know how radical that sounds from the Eric that lost his faith years ago. There, that Eric would have never said that. Actually, that Eric probably would have burned all the Bibles in our house. Like, honestly, <laughs> I wish I was lying. Um, but now his faith and devotion to God have transformed him into a different person, an amazing father, an amazing husband. I'm proud of him. And I always now encourage him to put God first. I don't want to be first. I don't want anything to be first. I want his relationship to, with God to be first in his life so that our relationship can be based on more than just our feelings, our emotions, our wants, our wishes, and it can be based on the vision that God has for our lives. Because I know if I pray, if I let the Spirit speak into, into my life, and he does the same thing. God is going to call us to do something amazing. And I almost feel like God has both called us to raise these kids that truly know God and that truly love God. And we're united in this vision. So I asked you today, are you like the couple that said, I just don't believe in us anymore? Or are you the couple that says, God is just not done with us yet? And our vision has to be more than just what we want out of life. Our vision has to be what God wants from us. And one more thing that the story of Mary and Joseph teaches us, especially as we're preparing to celebrate the greatest season in Christmas, is only when our marriages, our relationships are based in God's love, are we able to discover true joy and true hope? And that is not an empty hope that is based on circumstance. That is not an empty joy that's based, if, you know, if, if things are going well, we feel well. If things are going bad, we feel down. Uh, that's the joy and a hope that don't, don't ever end. And that's the kind of joy that Mary shows us in, 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 his, in her song. That even though she was going through one of the toughest times of her life, she was still praising God because her joy came from within. And it showed. So I hope that during this Christmas we don't try to manufacture joy with things, with stuff. It is nice. I'm not going to say like it's nice to get gifts. But your joy this Christmas needs to come from within. Your hope this Christmas has to come from within. And only God can provide that joy. And the last thing is, I hope that as you prepare to celebrate Christmas, you'll decide to put Jesus first in your life, in your relationships, in your marriage. 
Because only God can help you to gain a vision that goes beyond yourself. Only God can help you to establish a marriage this Christmas that has a vision to transform others, to transform lives, to transform the world. So I hope that we'll give ourselves away this Christmas and, to, and that we'll remember that the greatest gift of joy and hope already came thousands of years ago in that Christmas and through that little baby and that we will worship him and give him honor. Let's pray.